Uh, but yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, being under authority. And so what we're going to do is over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some different pictures of what that looks like uh, in the believer's life and specifically what that looks like in the lives of the kings of Israel and Judah. And so we're going to begin our journey uh, through that. And so some of you may be in First Samuel in D group if you start at the beginning of the year. Uh, if not, you'll get there pretty quickly. And so you'll see some of this uh, as it parallels as we go through the next several weeks. But we're going to talk about a resounding theme that uh, flows all the way throughout uh, Kings, Chronicles, Samuel as well, and uh, that's being under authority. And so I think it's very helpful for us as we began this series to set some foundational uh, framework for what we'll be talking about and what it looks like uh, for us to be under God's authority. So let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time here tonight, and then we'll jump into our new study. God, we bow before you tonight. God, thank you so much for today. Uh, God, the opportunity to freely gather uh, Lord, to worship you, God, to acknowledge that you are our Lord and Savior, and God to, uh, God, to learn more about you so that we can be better equipped to serve you, Lord. God, thank you for the instruction that you've given us in the last several weeks over uh, the things that we deal with, uh, and God, I pray that as we move into this new study, uh, Lord, that you would give us clarity about what it means for us individually to live under authority not just any authority, Lord, but under your authority, under your lordship. And so tonight, God, would you help us to be honest, uh, help us to be uh, transparent about the reality of how we act and who we are and the things that we do. And God, we pray that you would instruct us through your word. And so tonight, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> so as we think about being under authority, a lot of things may come to mind. Uh, one thing that I think we would all agree with as we get started here tonight is that our generation has a problem with authority. And we would all say amen. Uh, we see all the different things that take place, and the resounding theme of all of this is we don't want anybody to tell us what to do, right? We, we don't want to be under authority. And so we see people bucking the system, and, you know, we have to teach our children, you know, from infants that... Uh, they have to mind, they have to obey their parents, and, you know, they don't, oftentimes they don't do that, right? They'll do whatever you want them not to do, right? You know, somebody was telling me the other day that they were telling their child to do something and that their child would not only do it, but then stare at them while they were doing it. And I said, well, you need to listen to Pastor Tony's message a couple weeks ago and straighten him out. Uh, but yeah, and so it's an authority issue, right? Is that we don't want to have authority. We don't want to submit to someone and them tell us what to do. And so as we, I don't know if you've ever studied the kings of Israel and Judah, but as we get into this, as we were talking about the series and uh, just kind of looking at, you know, where God was leading us, that was the resounding theme that just kept coming back was authority, authority, authority. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. And I think it's very fitting as we look at our culture. And, you know, I'm not here to, today uh, to talk to you about culture, because that's not going to help us any. We want to talk about what God says about authority and see how we can fall in line with that. And so as we begin this study about uh, the kings, one of the things that we'll see is that a king is really just a product of the times in which he lives. 
So if we were to go back and really dig in, and we're going to jump into a lot of these situations with the kings, but if we're to go back and we're to dig in, and we're, we're looking at their heritage, where were they born, uh, what were their tendencies, what were their attitudes, what were their characteristics, if we were to really, really, really dig into all of these kings, starting with King Saul next week, uh, one of the things that we would find is that they were influenced by the culture in which they lived, and they were a byproduct of their environment. Now, we've talked about that in many different ways over the last several months, but everything that we see with the kings and everything that we're going to see is a direct result of them just coming out of the scenario that they were in. And you see that even in our world today. Is you think about as we went through voices, if you think about your heritage and you think about your family of origin, I talked about that a few weeks ago. You and I both have tendencies from our family of origin that have developed into our adulthood. And it's because we're a product of our environment. And so the kings, even though we're talking about a couple of thousand years uh, time ago, it was still the exact same thing. And so they were a product of the times. Now, if we were to look around today, and one of the things that you'll start to see is there is a rhythm uh, to how uh, the leadership took place, uh, both with Israel and with Judah as we get into this. And so, you know, as we have every man is just simply a sampling of the masses, the only difference of the kings that we're going to see is that they possess a greater measure of what is common to everyone. They just simply do it more often or they have a greater measure of that characteristic. And so I began to think about our world today. And it is so polarizing, right, especially when we think about the political spectrum and we think about the leadership that we currently have and, and we think about uh, as the things have changed over the last several years, you know, I'm 42 years old and so it's, you know, only been 20 or so years that I've actually paid attention uh, to politics and to presidents, and if you go back and you look in the 90s and you have uh, Bush and then you have Clinton and then you have Bush and then you have Obama and then you have Trump and then you have Biden. And so you see this pendulum back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, right? It's Republican, Democrat, Republican, Dem- back and forth and back and forth. And what you often see if you go back and study history during those periods of times is that it is a direct influence on what's happening in the current culture right? It's the same thing today with our election back in November, that you see that it's simply a byproduct of what's taking place in the culture. Again, with the kings, it is no different. And here's my point in all of that, is that water will not rise higher than its source. Water will not rise higher than its source. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He says, as water cannot rise higher than its source, so the moral quality in an act can never be higher than the motive So whatever the moral quality is, nothing good will come out of it if the motive is impure. And so for this reason, no act that arises from an evil motive can be good. So if you maliciously do something that appears to be good, good is not going to come from that. And he says the opposite is true. Even though some good may appear to come out of it, it's still an evil motive. And so what we see in culture, and again, you know, it is such a parallel for both biblical times and today is that the source of water that we see oftentimes is from the river that came from the ocean. And the ocean is the people, and the river leads to whoever the leadership may become. And so if you look in your own life, whatever it may be in your life and the things that you do, you are a product of that environment, and it comes from a source somewhere. Uh, What you listen to, who speaks into your life, who you hang around. 
It's no different, as we'll see, with the kings. And so we have to be very careful when we talk about today, and, and I don't, I'm going to be very careful not to make any comments about stuff like that uh, politically, but we have to be careful about the things that we assign to today and we say, well, it's never been before, this has never happened, or so on and so forth, because we've forgotten a lot of the things that have happened in history. But it's all been a part of what? From the source, which are the environment. And so in spite of this, and again, you know, as I said, we're not going to spend time talking about that. In spite of this reality that we would all absolutely agree with, the good news is that God has always had His children in the midst of a godless world. Always. So you look in any situation. You look in any uh, leadership, you look in any kingship, you look at any kingdom, and what you're going to find is that God had somebody in place. I think about King Ahab, which we'll get to, and I think about Elijah, and that, you know, uh, heresy and idolatry was rampant, and yet God put uh, Elijah in place at that time for a specific reason, right? What a fantastic story. I think about Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego when Israelites were taken captive, and it seemed to be nothing good. And yet, and yet, what did Jeremiah write during that period? I know the plans that I have for you. God says, I've got people in this city. That's what he tells Paul in Acts chapter 17, that we are not void of God's activity. That as bad as things may seem, and we're going to see some atrocious things that some of these kings do, that in spite of all of the things that they do, God is still sovereign. And it is so easy for us to get caught up in the reality of the circumstances and do bad things happen? Absolutely. And are, are we sometimes, uh, you know, the recipients of things that are bad? Yes, we are. But does that mean that God is not in control? Of course it doesn't mean that. And so we have to have the right perspective and remember that God is still in absolute control. You see, we find in the history of Israel that no matter how dark the days became or how great the apostasy with Ahab and many others, that there was always a remnant of true people of God who still held fast to Him. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be numbered in that, in that group of people. Amen? I don't know how this world, well, I do know how the world's going to end. I don't know how far it's going to go before that takes place. But I do know this. I want to be on the right team, right? I want to be counted among the faithful. I want perseverance to be a part of my heritage. I want to be where God wants me to be in that situation, in that moment. Last night, we were leaving the ball fields, and um, it was late. It was a makeup game, so we're normally not there that late. But it was a little after 9 o'clock. It's dark outside. They're cutting all the lights of the uh, baseball field out, and so it starts to get dark. And we're walking to the truck, and I'm from here to the front door of the church from my truck. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and that's past 9 o'clock, out of nowhere, these trumpets start playing. You know, and, and instantly, no joke, instantly, me, it was me and Melanie and Natalie, no, instantly Noah says, is Jesus coming back? And so I'm like, I don't know. I'm looking up in the sky, you know. And I'm thinking, first of all, thank you, Lord, that I'm hearing the trumpets. I know it's you. And number two, where are you, Lord? It's got to be my time. Uh, but, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen one day. I think maybe Kiesler was practicing. I don't know. Uh, maybe God was practicing. Maybe he was warming up before he comes. 
but I know that there's going to come a time, right? We all know that's going to happen. There's going to be this moment to where God splits the sky and he calls the redeemed home. And I want to be faithful up to that moment. I don't want to be a part of the crew that's talking about how bad things are. I want to be a part of the crew that's still proclaiming the reality that God is still in control in spite of the circumstances. You see, for believers, faith looks ever to the end. Faith looks to the end. And so as we go through this, and and we're going to do our very best to parallel uh, the things that we see uh, in the king's time as we learn about it, but we also want to be practically applicable here. We want to say, okay, well, we learned it. What does God want us to do with that? And so as we look at that, we want to look at it through the lens of faith and say, God, I know that you have a plan for me, just like you had a plan for both the good and uh, the bad, if you will, uh, kings of Israel and Judah, and that there's things that you want us to accomplish accomplished, and we want to be a part of that. But there is this overarching umbrella that we all fall under in order for that to be said about us, that we have to be under authority, that we have to be under not just authority, but we have to be under God's authority. You see, this is what the Bible says about God's authority. In Psalms 103, 19, I believe this may be on your handout, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Not just some or most, but all. God's kingdom rules over absolutely everything. There's never been a kingdom that rose and didn't fall that God didn't outlast. Did you hear me? There's never been a kingdom as good and as great and as powerful and as vast as the Roman Empire was, it ended. Okay? God's kingdom lasts forever. And the Bible says the Lord has established his thrones. Now, when something has been established, that means it's been around for a while, right? The Bible says in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and he said to them, all authority, again, the word all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So you can rest assured that the Jesus that you serve from John chapter 14 and verse 6, that is the way, the truth, and the life, he possesses all authority because God the Father gave that to him. So our salvation that was secured by Jesus Christ on the cross was secured by a person that possessed all of the authority in heaven and earth. That ought to give you confidence in your faith. You see, what faith does is it lets us to peer out to the end and knowing that our faith is not in something that will crumble and not in something that is most over most, but in something that is overall. You see, from the very beginning of creation, God intended to allow mankind to reign. God intended for us to reign. You see, God, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, God created us in his image, right? Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our image. And so God created man in the image of God. And part of the characteristic of God is rulership, is reign. Okay, And so if you look a couple verses later in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And this is what he says about this. He says, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The word dominion there means rule. So if you want to circle that and put on the side rule, that's what that means. And so God told man, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion, have rule. You see, God's purpose in creating human life in his image was functional. It was for man to rule or to have dominion. 
to have dominion. And so when we look at the creation, God has given us a responsibility to steward the things that he has given us. Now let's talk about that in a couple different capacities. Number one, as believers, which we'll get to, God has given us the responsibility to what? To fight back against darkness. If you'll remember in our series a few years ago when we talked about uh, the darkness versus good and uh, good versus evil and darkness versus light, and we talked about how God has called us to take back the territory in which the enemy has taken from Genesis chapter 11. We talked about that a few years ago. And so as believers, what we're called to do is to be ambassadors or to be representatives of the kingdom of God. And when we go out, we represent the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that there's no weapon that is formed against us. And so when we are representatives of the kingdom of God, whether we're at work, whether we're uh, social, uh, wherever we may find ourselves, we ought to be representative of the authority of God. But so many times, we don't represent God in authority, right? We hold our tongue. We don't say what represents God. We don't uh, bring the Christian viewpoint to bear, right? You look at our society today. One of the reasons that our world is in the situation that it is in is because Christians have not brought authority of God to the conversation, We've sat back and we've allowed other people to speak in worldly authority and we've not stepped up with godly authority and said, but this is what God says. That's the reason. So we see that, number one, as believers. Number two, we see that as men. One of the biggest problems that church has had for years and years and years is men being the leaders of their homes. It's a giant problem. And I mean, if you go and you look at uh, growing up, I grew up in a Baptist church. You probably grew up in a Baptist church. If you didn't, go look around. Growing up in Baptist churches, what do you see primarily? You see primarily female Sunday school teachers, right? You got females teaching little boys. You got females teaching a lot of the classes. Not that it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, where are the men? You got ladies going on mission trips. You got ladies serving for Operation Christmas Child. Where are the men? Right? And so, and then we think, well, I'm, you know, the men are there, there for the more responsible task. Well, no, they're not. God has called you to be the leader of the house. And Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, you got to serve. If you want to be first, you got to be last. But we've got men who are not stepping into the authority of God in their families. If you look around, and I don't know, but, you know, it seems to be there's more females than males here tonight. Why is that? Where are the men that are leading their families? Where are the men that are representing the authority of God in their life? He is talking to Adam here, and he says, you're to have dominion. You're to have rule. You're to represent the authority of God. And yet, we've got more men that are interested in careers than in Christ, right? We've got men that are more interested in sports than in our Savior, we, we look around, it's true, we're all guilty of that, but the reality is God has called you, man, to be the leader. He's called you to be the representative. He created you for that purpose, and that is what we ought to do. You see, God's purpose was that we would rule. God's dominion was presented to us by a representative, and so what happens is God wants us to be representatives of the authority of God in our lives. If we're a male, if we're a man, God has made you the ruler of your house spiritually that you are to be the leader. As a believer, God has made us to be the authority of God in whatever area we find ourselves in, male or female, 
Wherever God puts you as a believer, you are representative of the authority of God. One of the things I love about the New Testament when Jesus talks, oftentimes he said, you've heard it said before, but I say unto you. And that's what we ought to be declaring is what Jesus said. I'll say it again. It really doesn't matter what I think, and it doesn't matter what you think. What's most important is what does God say, right? We need to be familiar with what God says instead of going out and spreading our opinion. Imagine, if you will, that instead of Facebook being filled with all these fake pictures with filters and things of what I think, what if they were filled with things that God said? How do you think the world would respond? It'd probably be a lot different. You see, God's intention was for man to rule under the authority of God himself. You're supposed to be under the reign of God, man. You're supposed to be under his authority. You're supposed to represent his authority. But instead of ruling, most people are being ruled. Most people are being ruled. We were talking about Saul and D group earlier today. And uh, one of the things that you see is God told Samuel, and we'll get to it next week, but he told Samuel, hey, uh, Saul disobeyed me. He disobeyed, the, the verbiage is, he did not obey my commandments. Those are the words. Three verses later, Samuel stands in front of Saul, and Saul says, I obeyed the commandments. So here's what's happened. Here's what's happened. We have spiritualized disobedience. We've convinced ourselves, men, that instead of doing what God's called us to do, that we'll do what we want to do or what we think God wants us to do instead of actually what God's called us to do. And that's exactly what Saul did. He did, and we'll get to it next week, but he did something good in place of what God called him to do. Instead of being obedient, he followed his own desires. And that's what our world is full of, is men following their own desires. We've got more men that are good at video games than leading their families. You see, God wants to grant his people the kingdom. God wants to grant his people the kingdom. And when we are born again, listen to this, we are born into the kingdom of God. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. The Bible says that we were once alienated, that we were separated from God in darkness. And then the Bible says, but God. You see, we are granted ownership into the kingdom of God. We're granted ownership. And in this kingdom, there is the authority of Jesus as the head and humanity or believers as the rulers. Are you starting to see the theme here? That God in his supreme authority has granted us the authority to rule under his lordship. That God has called us to have the authority of God at our disposal, if you will, that we be representatives of that. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 2 says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his Father. You see, it's man's effort to make good the lie of the serpent. What we see in our world today is the effort of mankind to make true what the devil told Eve in the garden. You'll be a God. That's what Eve was told in the garden, right? Remember that? Uh, no, look, he didn't really say that. If you eat that fruit, you'll actually be just like God. 
And so we've got a lot of people in our world today who have a, a God complex. That they think that they are God's representative, that, that they're God's gift to humanity. And we see that in sports. We see that in politics. We see that in a lot of places that people stand up and they say things that are not true and that are not representative of God. But it don't have to be on TV for it to be bad, guys. Right? It could be in your house when nobody but your family knows it. That you may have a God complex that you think that you rule and reign with an iron fist and no one tells you what to do. Sure, everyone is under authority, under God's authority. And so as believers, we, we, must, uh, we must assume that uh, area of responsibility by first being subservient to who Jesus is. You see, as believers, we are all under the authority of God. We are all under the authority of God. But here, as I, th- as I thought about this. I thought this week about authority. And I thought about why is it everybody loves authority, right? Everybody wants to be in charge. Remember as a kid and you're out on the playground and you want to be in charge. You want to pick the teams, right? You're playing kickball, red rope, whatever you're playing. You know, and then you grow up and then you're on sports teams. You want to be the one you know, that, that hits the home run or you know, leads on the soccer field or you know, the, the um, head of the football team where you want to be the quarterback, whatever, right? And then we grow up and, and we all strive for this corporate ladder thing, right? We want to grow. We want to achieve certain things. We want to get, you know, this rung of the ladder. And this, everybody wants to be an authority. But all of a sudden, that is, have you noticed that's changed? That nobody wants to be an authority anymore? Have you noticed that? You know why nobody wants to be in, in authority anymore? Is because authority requires responsibility. Nobody wants to be responsible for anything they do anymore. They want to pass it off on somebody else. The husband wants to pass it off to the wife, or the wife wants to pass it off to the husband, and vice versa. Or at the church, well, I'm not going to do it. I'll get somebody else to do it. When God has called you, he created you, he saved you, he redeemed you to be in authority for the kingdom of God. But nobody in our society today wants to be in uh, authority because they don't want the responsibility of being in authority. Because when you're in authority, you have responsibility. Right, imagine if Pastor Tony took a team to Brazil and he leaves with eight and he comes back with seven. And they say, well, hey, what happened? And he says, hey, well, I got seven back. I mean, that's pretty good, right? And yeah, but what about that eighth person? I'm not responsible for them. We, we did some training one time for missions. We often laugh about this. Uh, and uh, they said, um, you know, if you get in trouble, you should call this number. And uh, so they give us this phone number to call if you get in trouble. And uh, I thought, well, that's a good thing to have, you know, somebody to call if I get in trouble. And uh, they said, we've rescued 65 of 66 people. Instantly, I raised my hand. I want to know what happened to that one person, right? (laughs) Did y'all not answer? Were you asleep? Like, what happened? I want to know, right? We're responsible. We have to be responsible when we're given authority. And here's the core of the matter. Our heart often yearns for someone to blame, but rarely for someone to follow. Our, Our heart often yearns for someone to blame, 
And so when we want to shirk responsibility, when we don't want to be in authority, what do we do? Why do we not want to do that? Because we want to have somebody else that we can blame. We can say, it's your fault that this happened. It's your fault that you did this. I wasn't the one responsible for that. What if we begin to take ownership of our house and we say like Joshua, you know what, I'm not sure what all y'all people are doing, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Here's what we're doing at my house. We're going to have a weekly Bible study. We're going to read Scripture together. We're going to pray together. We're going to serve together. That's what we're going to do. I'm not sure what y'all are going to do, but that's what we're doing. But what's happening is people are looking around and saying, oh, well, you know what, this person's not doing that, or I'm doing better than that person, and we're looking sideways instead of looking up. And so we're looking for someone to blame. Well, I didn't get that raise because, you know, they did this, or this didn't happen in my job, or this doesn't happen. I can't share my faith with my family because so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so. And all we're doing is we're shirking responsibility, and we're looking for somebody to blame instead of saying, you know, who's a godly father? Who is really raising their family in the admonition of the Lord? Who, who is declaring that they're going to serve God and God alone, and they're stewarding their children and their family the way that God has called them to do that? I want to follow that person. When is the last time you went to someone and complimented them for something that they were doing for the kingdom and asked them to let you be a part of it? When's the last time that happened? Man, you do a great job at teaching Sunday school. You do a great job in small group and explaining things. And I would really love to learn, how, you know, how did you learn how to do that? Would you teach me? Like, Brother Frank goes to all the classes. He, goes to all, he knows all the small groups. He knows all of that, right? And so he sees all these different abilities and talents that people have. Men, when's the last time that you had a struggle with your spouse and you went to someone in your D group or someone in the church and you said, look, I'm struggling to be a good husband, but you've been married for 20 years or 40 years, and I see how you love your wife. Would you help me? Would you help me grow in that area? See, we don't want to follow anybody. Because when we follow somebody, what does it do? It admits weakness. We say, well, I don't have it figured out, and you got it figured out, and if I admit that, that makes you better than me. That's what the world tells us, right? Instead of submitting and saying, you know what, I don't have things figured out. I don't have all the answers. And I need to learn from people that God puts around me. There's a lot of people that God's put in my life that are way better at a lot of things than I am. And you know what I want to do? I want to learn from those people. I want to know how God taught them. I want to know what God is doing in their life. I want to know what activities and, and, and how God is moving in that area. I need to learn from that. I need to know those things. I'm still alive. He's still working on me. Right? It's the same for you. That when we, when we follow someone, what we're saying is, I'm okay with not being in charge because I one day want to learn to be in charge of what God intends for me to be in charge of. You see, in the kingdom, God has called us to visibly demonstrate the comprehensive rule of God underneath the lordship of Jesus in every area of our lives. Pastor Tony mentioned this a few weeks ago. What happens in our lives oftentimes, and especially in D group, is we got closets. And we don't want anybody to see that closet, so we lock the door. Right? You ever go on vacation and you rent a condo and one of the rooms was locked? Right? That's where they kept all the, you know, beach towels or, you know, they kept all the cleaning supplies or whatever. There's that one room that's locked, and the whole time you're on vacation, you're wondering, wonder what is in that closet, right? Well, it's the same way in our lives spiritually, is that we often allow people to know just enough about us to be impressed, but not enough to be concerned. It's true. 
It's true. And so what, what happens is when we have these closets, we've got areas of our life that we compartmentalize and we don't allow the lordship of Jesus to reign over all of those. So here's the question. What would happen, what would happen if you came to Jesus and you said, you can have all of it, it's all broken anyway? Would you put it back together the way you want it put together? Right? What if that happened? What if men decided, what if believers decided, you know what, I'm going to do this one thing. I'm just going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to let him clean out every area of my life. And some of it's going to be painful. Some of it's going to stink. But I'm just going to submit to his lordship. You see, Jesus, we read in John chapter 6 that Jesus came out and he fed the 5,000, a great miracle. Uh, you know, all of this took place. And then Jesus began to talk to them. He said, look, if you really want to follow me, there's going to be sacrifice involved. He said, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood is the way Jesus said it. But what he was saying is that I've got to be all of you. I've got to be involved in every area of your life. And in John chapter 6 and verse 66, the Bible says that many turned away and stopped following Jesus. Jesus. Why? Because he was not in every area of their life. Rich young ruler, sell all you have and give to the poor. Then you can follow me. He turns and walked away. Why? Because he wasn't willing to have Jesus as Lord over all of his life. And either Jesus, listen to this, either Jesus is Lord of all of your life or he is Lord of none of your life. It's not pocket Christianity. This is not addition. It's replacement. And so when we talk about the lordship of Jesus, it must be in every area of our lives. What we're going to see in this study is that there are many, many, many of the kings who struggle with being under the authority of God. So after being through this period of judges, the Israelites decided that they wanted a change of direction. And what I hope for us tonight is that we'll all agree that not only does our nation need a change of direction, but that we need a change of direction, right? That there's something in our lives, there's some area of your life that's not under the authority of God. And my prayer for you and my prayer for us is that your heart would begin to change directions. You see, Samuel gives us the transition from judges ruling Israel to prophets and kings Ruling, Israel's, uh, ruling Israel. And so what begins to happen then is Israel begins to desire a king. And we'll get into it next week. But it's not their desire to follow God, but it is their desire to be like the other nations. So again, they started looking sideways instead of looking up. Now, for a long time, the nation of Israel has been looking up. Right? God said, Abraham, I'm calling you. Uh, father of the nation of Israel, I'm calling you to go to a land. I'll tell you where to go when you leave. And Abraham leaves. And we see God tell Moses, I want you to get the Israelites out of Egypt. And once we get there, I'll show you which way to go, and I'm going to give you a way to follow me. And they leave, and for 40 years they leave. And then they get to the promised land, right? And so we see over and over and over God leading and God leading and God leading. And then all of a sudden, the nation of Israel begins to look around. And they say, we've been following God, and God's done all these amazing things. We want to do something different. Who says that? And so they began to look around at the other nations, and they said, well, that nation has a king, and that nation has a king. What they should have done is looked around and said, well, that nation lost a king because we took him, and that nation lost a king. And that, you see what I'm saying? If you read all through Joshua and the conquest, it was about Israel overtaking the bad kings. And yet, Israel said, that's how we want to be. We want to be just like the other nations. 
Now, one of the misconceptions that you often hear as we talk about the kings is that it was never God's will for Israel to have a king. Well, clearly God had a will for the nation of Israel, but it was to be in His timing and His way. God had a plan for Israel. God wanted there to be leadership with Israel. God had people in place. There's always been someone who led the nation of Israel. And we'll look at some scriptures here that show that God was planning on using someone to lead the nation. When Abraham was 99, Genesis 17, 1, the Lord appeared to him and says, I'm God Almighty, walk before me, be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. So we see a little foreshadowing here. Genesis 36, these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. We fast forward uh, to, the, to the next scripture here. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, when you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So we see some of this foreshadowing of this kingship that is to come for the nation of Israel. Then comes Samuel after, of course, Moses. So Samuel comes along, who was the last of the judges after the book of Judges, and he's the first of the prophets. Now, this is proof that God, yet again, is raising up a remnant. Now, you see, oftentimes in Judges, it's, the Bible says that, uh, you know, he did, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. We see a couple of female judges, Deborah and so on. And so we see these judges take place that rule the nation of Israel. And then Samuel comes along, and prophets begin to rule the nation of Israel. So I'm just giving you a little bit of information here. And it's proof with Samuel. Now, again, either you have read or you're about to read in D group about Samuel. And so Hannah is Samuel's mom, and Hannah is not with child. And so her husband takes another wife, and she has kids. And so Paniah is always messing with Hannah. You know, ha-ha, I kids, and you don't. And so they have this back and forth, and Hannah's distraught about it. And so Hannah begins to pray. And she prays so intensely that Eli, the priest, thinks that uh, Hannah's drinking, right? And so she says something to, Eli says, hey, you know, what's going on? And Hannah says, no, 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 I'm not drunk. She said, I'm desperate for God to move in my life. I want God to bless me. And Eli said, well, as you prayed, it will happen. And so the Bible says that Hannah goes home and she has a child right? And so then Samuel's born. And so Hannah said, God, if you'll give me a child, I'll commit him to you. And so uh, when uh, her husband goes back, she says, I'm going to wait a few years before I send uh, Samuel to live with Eli. And so eventually she does that. And so she dedicates Samuel to, uh, to be a prophet, to be under the tutelage of Eli. And so one night, Eli's asleep, and Samuel hears God speak. And uh, he goes, you know, hey, is that you, Eli? You've read the speak. I'm listening. And so Samuel does that, and Samuel begins to hear from God. 
And Samuel learns what it means to be uh, heard from God. And so you have little Samuel in that story that I just told you. You've got little Samuel that Hannah so desperately prayed for that God provided providentially and places Samuel under the leadership of Eli. And yet, what's happening all the while that Samuel is learning and growing, the Bible says, in favor with people, what is happening all around Samuel? What's happening? Well, I'll tell you what's happening. All types of things that are ungodly. How do we know that? All of Eli's sons are doing terrible things in the temple. All the while, little Samuel's looking around and his eyes are saying, is this God? Is this what God, is this what it means to follow God? Is this what it means to be a representative of the authority of God? And thank God, God uh, spoke to Samuel and Samuel heard from God and he didn't mimic the behavior of Eli's kids, right? And God rose Samuel up out of that, and he is using Samuel in the story of the nation of Israel. It ought to be the same for us. that We can look around and we say, my goodness, God, look around and look at all the turmoil. And yet we can say, God, would you raise me up like you raised up Samuel? God, that as we look around, men, we can say as we look around and we see all of the things that are taking place that are ungodly, God, would you count me among the godly? And when you raise me up under your authority to be your representative, to be your man, to be the believer that you've called me to be, that ought to be our prayer, that as we begin to change direction like the nation of Israel did, that God would do the same thing in our heart, that just like little Samuel, we would keep our eyes focused on Jesus and we would listen to God. You see, just as Eli's sons were contempt, unfortunately, the same became true of Samuel's sons. You see, Samuel came old, the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of the firstborn son was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. I just kind of feel like that wasn't the first time they talked about that. Don't you think? I mean, when's the last time somebody walked up to you and said, You're old and your kids are terrible, right? I felt like they had a conversation. You tell them. No, you tell them. What should we say? Well, I don't know. Well, I'll talk to them tomorrow. When I'm out in the field tomorrow, I'll talk. Did you talk to them? No, I just couldn't. I didn't have the heart to say it. And then one of them finally stands up and says, I'll tell him. And he walks in. You're old and your kids are bad. And he just leaves, right? I mean, I just kind of imagine that wasn't the first time they had this conversation. You see, but what we learn from this is, is the exact words that God spoke through Moses. It's the exact words, that they don't walk in your ways, that, that we want a nation, we want a leader just like all the other nations. So hundreds of years before, Moses, through God's prophecy, said they're going to want a king just like the other nations. And here they come and say, you know what? Appoint us a king to judge us like all the other nations. And so Samuel says, do you know what that means? They're going to take your very best. They're going to take your best kids. They're going to take your best crops. They're going to take your, your money, some of your money, because you've got to prop up the king. You've got to support the king. And so they still persevere. Nope, this is what we want. And so here's our principle. Sometimes God's greatest judgment is giving us what we want so we can see that it isn't really what we want. 
Sometimes God gives us exactly what we want, so we'll realize that's not what we want. Every one of us in the room can testify that we've asked for God to give us something or we've wanted something that God gave us, and when we got it, we realized, I don't really want this. Right? I don't want this. And so the nation of Israel came to learn that, in fact, that they did not want to be like other nations, that they are the chosen nation, that God did specifically redeem them and rescue them and plant them where he planted them, not so that they would be like everybody else, but so that they would be distinct, just like we're talking about on Sunday mornings, that we would be distinct, that believers would stand out, that they would be known for the authority of God. You see, God wants to give us the kingdom. God wants to give us the kingdom. God wants to give us kingdom authority, both now in the time that we're in and in eternity. And so we have to assume that responsibility, that authority that God has given us. And so I just want to share with you just a couple of principles here uh, as we start to wrap up tonight of what we're going to see in the coming weeks about living under the authority of God. And these principles will uh, flow or thread throughout everything that we talk about here for the next few weeks. So the first thing that I want you to see here is that God wants us to rule and to reign with His Son, the Lord Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, number one, God's authority always begins with His Word. God's authority always begins with His Word. So we're going to see as we look at Saul, we're going to start with Saul next week. So next week, one of the things we're going to see is that Saul's leadership or his reign began when there was a word from God. And the authority of God always begins with the Word. And so if you're here tonight and you say, well, I want to I live in the authority of God's Word. I want to be representative of the dominion and the rule that God's called me to be a part of. Well, it has to be based on God's Word. You can't decide some platform that you want to represent and then go out and say in Jesus' name and it be God's authority. That's not how that works. All right? You have to reign under the authority of Scripture. So whatever Scripture says, that's what God's called you to be a representative of. And so God's authority always starts there. You see, the way that we interact with the Bible and the way that we live out the Bible is an indication of the authority of the Bible in our lives. If you say the Bible is the authority in my life, but you live opposite of Scripture, the Bible is not the authority in your life. You see, your interaction with Scripture is going to dictate the authority in your life. And when you, the more of the Word that gets in you, the more of the Word that comes out of you, right? Your Word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, the more the Word gets in you, the more the Word comes out of you. And so if you want to live under the authority of God's Word, what you have to do is you have to spend time with God's Word. You have to know God's Word. You have to know God's Word. And so we have to live out the Bible based upon the Word of God being inside of us. And so if you want to act in wisdom and, and you want to have discernment and you want to know what God is speaking, just like with Samuel and uh, Eli, how do you do that? You have to listen to the Word of God and you have to spend time in the Word of God. You have to spend time. We, so, many, so many times we go to Scripture, and we go to Scripture with what we want to hear instead of what God wants to say. That takes time, okay? You have to sit, and you have to listen. So we have to live under the authority of God's Word because it always begins with His Word. And here's one of the things I think we've lost with that, is that we've made Scripture more palatable. 
We've more, made it more digestible, or in, in other words, we have made Scripture ordinary. We've made Scripture ordinary. Let me ask you a question. How do you treat the Word of God? Is it on the floorboard of card during the week? Is it on the bottom shelf? You, you tuck it away and then you come back on Sunday? What, what does that look like? What, what about the Scriptures that, that you say? Do you leave out the hard parts when you're sharing God's Word when someone needs advice? What does that look like in our life? Do we only abide by the parts that we like, like with Samuel, that we spiritualize disobedience? You see, if we're going to live under the authority of God's Word, that we can't make God's Word ordinary because God's Word is not ordinary. And we've got to revere God's Word as what God's Word was. When, when copyists would copy the Word of God, if they made a mistake, they made them throw the pen away, and they were done for the day. They couldn't copy anymore for that day. But yet, we so flippantly take God's Word, and we're, we're in and out. Think of in the Old Testament, when they had an encounter with God. Think about this. When they had an encounter with God, there was so much that they had to do to get into the presence of God. There was a sacrifice, and they had to go into the temple, and there were certain times that they could do that. There was all these regulations that they had to do. And yet today, because of Jesus, the veil has been rent from top to bottom, and we have direct access to God. And so oftentimes, we bebop into Bible study expecting God to speak to us when we have no more prepared to meet with God than we prepared to brush our teeth. Listen, we've got to be respectful and reverent of the Word of God. It is the holy words of our Savior. We've got to interact with God's Word. We've got to live under the authority of God's Word because it is not ordinary. And when you make it ordinary, you'll live like it's ordinary. You see, Scripture is the book that assures us that we are the people of God when we run into trouble, God's Word is the book that assures us of who God is when we run into trouble. God's Word assures us of the things that we're doing wrong or convicts us of that. Isn't that what 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says? That it's for reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness that we might be who God has called us to be. And so listen, stop making God's Word ordinary. God's Word is extraordinary. There's never been a book written like it. There'll never be a book written like it. It's the bestseller of all time. Why is that? Because it is the holy inspired Word of God. It is unlike any other scripture that is ever written. Why they try to ban the Word of God? Because it has power. Listen to me. Act like it. We got to start acting like it is what it is. The holy Word of God. God's authority always begins with His Word. Scripture is God's covenant with us. We don't just look up the pedigrees of where Abraham came from, but we see where the Spirit of God assures us that we are His people, that He sends us into the world to tell the story of Jesus, that the story of Israel is the story of Jesus, that God's story of Israel, that God's story of Jesus is our story, and our story is available to be your story. That's what Scripture is. So number one, God's authority always begins with His Word. Number two, God's authority is never challenged by man. God will always prevail. The authority of God, I thought about changing challenge to some other word, but I like challenge because no one wins against God. You're not going to challenge God. 
I mean, there's so many examples that I can give you of that, but you're not going to challenge God. And just for scripture reference, go back to page 1 and look at Psalms 103.19 or Matthew 28.18. All authority, all of it, A-L-L, those three letters indicate everything. All authority has been given to God. He is ruler over all. There is nothing that is not under His authority. There is no situation that passes His watch. He knows everything. God's authority is never challenged by man. God will always prevail. There has never been a kingdom that challenged God that won, ever. Number three, to have authority, we must live under authority. To have authority, we must live under authority. And so I want to ask you a question. Whose authority are you under? Whose authority are you under? You've got to be under somebody's authority. You've got to be under someone's authority. You need someone not to blame but to follow. There's got to be someone that you sit under, that you're instructed by, that you're guided, like someone who's walking with you, who's leading you. And in the process of that, then you're going to become the leader, right? And you're going to lead people. And you're going to be representative of the dominion or the rule of the kingdom of God. You see, when the centurion came to Jesus... And he asked for him to heal his child. He didn't have authority because he was tough. He had authority because he knelt to Caesar. He had authority because he was under authority. Similarly for us, we have authority because we kneel before the throne of God. If we are not submitted to the authority of God's kingdom in our lives, we cannot act in his authority. So for us to live in authority, to have authority, we've got to live under authority. You have to surrender and submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. If you're not submitted to that, you can't act in authority. You can't assume the responsibility of reign that God has instructed for us to live under. And so as we talk about this over the next several weeks, next week we'll jump into Saul and see what, uh, how Saul acted and, and Saul's lack of living under authority. But here's my prayer for us tonight as we, as we uh, end here is that God would help us that we would come to spiritual maturity, that we would have the character qualities of a king so that we can handle kingdom responsibility and kingdom authority. You and I are part of the kingdom of God. And although you may not have the title of king and you may never wear a crown on earth, as children of God, one day you will have a crown. And that's because of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we need to start acting like God's word is God's word. And we need to start acting like we're children of God under the authority and dominion of who Jesus is. That there is no kingdom that reigns greater than the Lord Jesus supreme. And we should live like that. And we should act like that. And how do we start doing that? By submitting every area of our life to the lordship of Jesus. So I'll leave you with this question. Whose authority are you under? I think about the people when they crucified Jesus. And Jesus said, here is your king. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. We got a lot of people in our world today who are are repeating those same words. I don't have a king. I'm not under authority of anyone. Sir, yes, you are. One day the Bible says that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Ma'am, you're under authority. You're under God's authority. And as we see with these kings, when we don't act under God's authority, things go south very quickly. 
And so my prayer is that our hearts will begin to change and God will begin to redirect us, that we'll slowly but surely begin to submit every area of our life to his lordship for his glory under his authority. Amen? Let's pray here tonight. God, what can we say, uh, Lord, that, God, you've done everything.